Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters through the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele, and this podcast does do all of those things that Peter just described. Um, thank you for joining us, listeners. We're hitting a bit of a purple patch at the moment, aren't we, Peter? Certainly are. A nice little stretch of really good Golden Age stuff coming up. Today we're looking at issue 55 of Showcase, which was published on January the 28th, 1965, with a cover date of March stroke April 1965. And this issue features two Golden Age perennials teaming up together. It's Dr. Fate and Our Man. And I'm very excited because Our Man is one of my favourite, if not my favourite, superheroes of all time. I've really been looking forward to it. I've been chopping at the bit for the last few months before we got to Showcase 55, and we're finally here. Little bit of background about Our Man and Doctor Fate. Won't go into too much detail on them. Doctor Fate was first published in issue 55 of More Fun Comics, published in April 1940, and he last appeared in More Fun Comics in issue 98 in May 1944. Dr. Fate was also a member of the Justice Society, appearing in every issue between issue 3 and 21 with the exception of issue 13, and he vanished from All Stars the same time that he vanished from his own book in May 1944. And then Our Man, Rex Tyler, TikTok Tyler, first appeared in issue 48 of Adventure Comics, ran all the way through to issue 83, and was also a founder member of the Justice Society of America, appearing in issues 3, 4, 5, 6 and 7, because he was booted out of the All Stars actually quite quickly. His first appearance in Adventure Comics was in 1940, but his final appearance was in December 1942, and it's safe to say that our man didn't exactly set the world on fire No, back in the day, did he? No. An early casualty, he sort of vanished very, very quickly, but it's I think it's also safe to say that he got a bit of a renaissance much later in his career, shall we say? Absolutely, yes. He made his first Silver Age appearance in issue 21 of Justice League of America, yes. the first JLA JSA team up. He appears in a couple of issues of Showcase with Dr. Fate, he appears regularly in the JSA and JLA team ups throughout the 70s and into the 80s, and he's, I would say, maybe for <laughs> season two, shall we say, of All-Star Squadron, <laughs> he becomes one <laughs> yes. of the main players, and we're also a way, 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 way off from All-Star Squadron, but I'm also... I'm very much looking forward to when we bring him into All-Star Squadron. And then he was rather unceremoniously, like a couple of his other colleagues, he was killed off in the Zero Hour series in 1994, which is kind of weird because he'd been a member of the revived 1992 Justice Society series. He'd appeared in a Justice League Task Force story, literally just months before he Mm -hmm. was killed off. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Alongside Martian Manhunter and Elongated Man and a really badly redesigned Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. (laughs) And it's weird, he had a bit of a renaissance through the 90s. It's really strange to kind of try and quantify it, but within a year of him being killed off, he'd had a guest appearance in Starman. He had a four-issue arc all about him in Starman Mystery Theatre. He was a guest sort of supporting character in the miniseries about the, the Triumph character who was sort of retconned as a Justice League member who was lost to history. He was the narrator of the the Justice Society story in the 1997 DC Universe sort of holiday special. He made several appearances in Starman all the way through it. He was the cover guy on the All-Star Comics 80-page giant when that was released, I think in 1999. And he was basically the narrator and bookending sort of lead character for the Justice Society Returns event when when Pete Tomasi, God bless him, 
brought the JSA back in 1999. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, there was another Our Man introduced around about that time who had a comic that ran for a couple of years and Rex was very involved in that. There's an issue which is very close in tone to the issues of Showcase that we're going to talk about. And then he was rescued from his death in 2005 in an issue of JSA. So there's all sorts of stuff about Our Man to get your teeth into. What we're going to do in the socials, we're going to stick up a gallery of some of Our Man's appearances after the period that we're going to cover. We'll do the same for Doctor Fate as well, but we'll do that mm-hmm. once we cover issue, issue 56 of Showcase. We're going to yes. a bit more detail about Doctor Fate when we do that one. And also we should talk about the other Golden Age superhero who features briefly in this story as well, which is the Golden Age Green Lantern, Alan Scott. Now, Alan has made a few appearances already. He was also... Yes. He was in Flash 137, mentioned in Flash 129. He was in the first JLA JSE team up. Oh, yes. um, we haven't really talked too much about it. I think we'll probably go into a bit more detail on him when we get to Green Lantern 40 mm-hmm. which is the first proper team up for the two GLs but suffice it to say for now the Golden Age Green Lantern made his first appearance in issue 16 of All American Comics published in May 1940 and he was also a founding member of the Justice Society and was there when the Justice Society wound up in 1950 and this issue and I will pause for breath in a moment dear listener <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not the Davy Steele show this week Pete was quite surprised when I told him this other night when we were talking about it. The baddie in this issue is a character called Solomon Grundy, who I think is probably my favourite comic book villain of all time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. I just think he's really cool. I remember having an issue of Super Friends that he was in when I was really young, mm-hmm. and an issue of Superman around about that time as well. Uh-huh. There, there is something fascinating about swamp monsters in comics, don't you think, Peter? Absolutely, yes. Uh-huh. In the Golden Age, of course, as well, Solomon Grundy, there was a character called The Heap, and I think they all stem really from the, the short story by Theodore Sturgeon, which quite a famous one, which is called It, published in 1940. So there we go, and The Heap, who I mentioned briefly, appeared in issue three of Air Fighter Comics, which was in 1942. So Solomon Grundy, who's the baddie in this week's episode, he first appeared in All American Comics issue 61, which was published in August 1944, with a cover date of October 1944. He made a few other appearances in the Golden Age. I mean, remember last week when we talked about The Shade, we okay. remarked on how odd it was that The Shade had only appeared once in the uh-huh. Golden Age, but Grundy had four appearances, so yes. he appeared in All American Comics 61. He returned in Comic Cavalcade issue 13. He fought the Justice Society in issue 33 of All-Star Comics, which is quite a big deal, isn't it? Getting getting a cover story and all that for a current baddie, sort of fighting the whole team. Absolutely, yeah. And then he made his final Golden Age appearance in Comic Cavalcade issue 24, which came out in October 1947, about 10 months after he fought the JSA. And that was covered dated December, January 47 to 48. So Solomon Grundy has some pedigree. And unlike The Shade, he's been pretty consistent in his appearance throughout. He's a, he's a big, sort of hulking, grotesque character, wearing a, a black suit, which is frayed at the edges. He wears a grey shirt. He has deathly white skin, Grotesque, exaggerated mm-hmm. teeth and eyes and features, white hair and big, clunky brown boots. He kind of looks like a much scarier version of the first zombie that you see in Night of the Living Dead. And I've often wondered <laughs> if he was based on Solomon Grundy. But Keep anyway, me. I have rabbited on far too long. <laughs> there we are. Let's, gi- let's give Pete a chance to say something now. Another interesting thing I found about Grundy is in his Golden Age appearances, his personality actually changes. He's sometimes oh. a bit kind of Hulk smash-ish. I mean, right. the easiest comparison to make him is the Hulk because he is a large guy who's got super strength of course and usually smashes things so in some appearances he is quite Hulk smashish, and then in other appearances he seems quite intelligent and has other powers yeah. which is intriguing yeah that's something that they do eventually go into a bit more especially in Starman yes that's, in that's exactly what I was going to say yeah but yeah that's quite interesting again the personality thing way before the Hulk has a personality issue because it's way before the Hulk yeah of course the, am I right in thinking there was an issue of one of the DC Amalgam com- DC Marvel Amalgam comics which is a, a 90s phenomenon listeners when DC and Marvel were getting on quite well and they had a few sort of joint publishing efforts where they combined some of the characters there was a version of that sort of combined Grundy and the Hulk wasn't there? Absolutely yes When Bruce Banner metamorphosized into Solomon Grundy 
I think it was in the Doctor Strange Fate issue, which combined Doctor Strange and Doctor Fate. Oh, yes. On their respective socials. And please do check out our Facebook and Instagram because we're, we're putting a lot more supplementary material on there, a lot of visual stuff that obviously we can't share to you on the, the podcast. We're going to stick up an Hour Man gallery. We're going to stick up a Solomon Grundy gallery. We're going to stick up a gallery of some other comic book spot monsters because I love them. So check those out if you can. <laughs> see, see what you think. Yep. Shall we get on with the story then, Pedro? Let's do it. Showcase <laughs> 55. So the cover... Very iconic cover. We have Solomon Grundy, funnily enough, in a swamp, and he's not looking happy. He's got Dr. Fate, who is rigid, surrounded by green energy. He's holding up above him, and it looks as if he's about to throw him into our man, who's lunging at him in a big, massive punch. Yep. And in the corner, we've got a little boxing special guest star, the original Green Lantern, and a picture of Alan Scott. Yes, interesting how the the original is in inverted commas. That's quite weird, isn't it? The detail on the cover is, I mean, it's by Murphy Anderson, it's gorgeous. In the uh-huh. background, there's a big, deep orange sort of harvest moon sort of yeah. thing poking out from behind a skeletal tree and there's mm-hmm. grass and mud and puddles. It's, it's oh, oh, fantastic. <laughs> certainly another inspiration, I think, for Solomon Grundy is Frankenstein's monster as well. To a certain extent, the actual clothes he wears looks very oh, much like Frankenstein's monster, sort of classic universal look. But obviously, he's got the more definitely white skin. Definitely. Classic monster. That's a really good point. I think you're absolutely right. And that's that's undoubtedly going to be a, a reference point from, I'm sure, I love Grundy. We've talked a lot about Starman. Mm-hmm. And Grundy was obviously, not as much as The Shade, but Grundy was a kind of more minor sort of supporting character in the James Robinson, Tony Harris, Starman series. There's a whole arc Mm -hmm. which does deal with that fact that Grundy has appeared at various points and had different personalities. And we'll probably continue to reference it as we go on, but we'll never really go into too much detail on it because it's it's worth your time reading it for yourself. Yes. I'm glad you agree. (laughs) (laughs) Into the story. Actually, we'll talk about the splash page first, because the splash page is a nice kind of pin-up to itself. Uh, We have Grundy right in the centre, a lovely purple background. Grundy looking very menacing, and you've got two kind of like highlighted images of Dr. Fate and Our Man springing into action. And there's a caption all about Dr. Fate, there's a caption all about Our Man. Yep. And underneath that, we've got two scrolls, one of which says, Story by Gardner Fox, another says, Art by Murphy Anderson. And yes, the artwork in this is amazing. It's sublime. I think it's the best looking comic we've done so far. So, the splash page beholds the Super Team Supreme, Dr. Fate, and I love that, the Super Team Supreme. Yes. Fantastic. So the two captions, we have the one that introduces Dr. Fate. It says, In a stone tower in which haunted Salem lives a man known to the world as Dr. Fate, master of the occult sciences. He moves where he wills, upon, below, and above the earth. He is sworn to protect. Wow. There you go. And then, above Rex Tiktok Tyler, we have... Ever since his discovery of Miraclo, a pill that gives him supercharged powers for one hour, TikTok Tyler has assumed the role of Our Man, ally of the oppressed and scourge of gangland. There we go. Fantastic. Joe, I'd, I'd love at some point if we could do the, the Our Man story that appeared in the Saruman Mystery Theatre. I really do. It'd be nice to do that as an adjunct. You never know. Maybe once we get to the end of Crisis and everything else is <laughs> 10 and we keep going, you know. <laughs> So yes, there's another big caption at the bottom. Both these superheroes have recently come out of retirement to join in the resurgence of the Justice Society of America. Now they combine forces as the Super Team Supreme to battle Earth's most awesome menace. Solomon Grundy goes on a rampage. Straight into the story. The story begins on on page two and with a caption at the top of the, the story panels which says Solomon Grundy goes on a rampage prologue and it's basically it's a recap of Grundy's origin and earlier encounters with Green Lantern. 
Not real life, only a weird distortion of it. Solomon Grundy is said to have been created by the strange chemical reaction of sizzling sunlight beating down on the decayed vegetation of soggy swampland. And we see gorgeous panel of Solomon Grundy emerging from the swamp with those fog drifting through the air. There's all sorts of weird like dead trees and plants. He is creepy. Ugh. Panel 2. Impossible, said scientists. Well, maybe it was, but before long, a criminal band followed a new chief, Solomon Grundy. And Grundy is striding through the swamp in the moonlight sky, and he's being followed by some, some ne'er-do-wells who are brandishing clubs, and they're obviously shouting and making loud noises. <laughs> this is a recap, essentially, of the story from All-American Comics 61, isn't it? Yeah. It's the secret origin of Solomon Grundy, I suppose. Pretty much. Soon, too soon... An entire nation was trembling before the ominous onslaughts of a raging colossus of crime who couldn't be stopped by bullets. Nice symbolic panel of a big Solomon there and some people reacting in horror. Finally trailed to the petrified forest by indomitable Green Lantern, a truly titanic battle ensued. And we see Grundy, and he's about twice the size of Alan Scott's Green Lantern to give you a sense of scale. Yeah. There's some dead trees, it's beautiful. And Green Lantern is blasting his powering beam at Grundy, and Grundy is saying, You hurt me? And Green Lantern is thinking, That chase across the continent didn't help him any. My way is weakening him. Bullets couldn't kill him, jails couldn't hold him. Only the emerald energy of Green Lantern had any effect on Solomon Grundy. And in this panel we see that Green Lantern has conjured a powering bubble and has trapped Grundy inside it. And Grundy says, Can't move, I'm caught. And then the next panel we see Grundy crouching inside the bubble and the caption says And today here is that vision of terror still imprisoned in a bubble of emerald energy. And Grundy is thinking to himself Someday get out, destroy enemy, Green Lantern, someday. Cannot kill me, live forever, must come time when I'm free, then kill Green Lantern. And at the bottom of page two there is a caption which says Editor's note, this is a recreation of a page that originally appeared in The Revenge of Solomon Grundy, published in All-Star Comics number 33, February-March 1947. That wasn't the last time we actually saw Grundy in the Golden Age. No. There was another story that followed. Yes, and Pete's going to explain or talk us around this because it's quite complicated. Yeah, so when Gardner Fox wrote this story, I think he was unaware of the story from the later Comic Cavalcade issue. Right. Because at the end of All-Star 33... Grundy is imprisoned in a green energy bubble on the moon. But his next appearance is then in Comic Cavalcade 24, where we discover that he escapes the moon by discovering anti-gravity. Right. Uh, (laughs) And coming along, a beam coming from a telescope. Yes, because that's what he does. So yeah, he escapes the moon and comes back, fights Green Lantern again. And Green Lantern says, well, I'm not going to imprison you in the moon this time. You can escape there. Instead, I'm going to imprison you in the ground and buries him in the ground. Now, this story kicks off with Solomon Grundy coming to Earth from the moon. Yes. So, that doesn't quite work. Now, someone we've talked about a lot in the podcast, (laughs) Roy Thomas. Rascally Roy Thomas. He's never made a continuity issue he doesn't want to fix. So, (laughs) when he started off All-Star Squadron in the 80s, his very first story arc dealt with this issue as a side note. Yeah. Basically, it involves a character, we'll get to it in time, but to give you, yes, from Grundy's point of view, basically, there's a time-travelling villain called Perdegaton, who's recruiting bad guys to help him in his current campaign for world domination. 
So Per Degaton, he frees Grundy from his underground prison, right. where he was left in Comic Cavalcade 24. And Grundy is so grateful he's going to work for Degaton, but he says he never wants to go back to that underground prison again. So he's Degaton's lackey throughout this story, and at the end of it, uh, he kind of gets knocked back through time, and he ends up back on the moon instead of uh, back underground. So ah, that's what happens right. there. I see. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, because that initial All-Star Squadron story is set at the end of 1941, isn't it? Yeah. Where, just after mm-hmm. Pearl Harbor, which is what, December, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's a good couple of years before Grundy even first appeared. Uh-huh. Interesting. I can't remember if he comes up against Green Lantern in that story, that, but doesn't that story finish with everyone getting their their memories wiped of everything that's gone on throughout. The JSA are mostly out of commission. Yeah. We'll get to exactly. it anyway. Let's yes, not let's, spoilers, yes, let's not dwell too much yeah. on an issue of All-Star Squadron. That's not that we'll important right in a couple of years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, this story kicks off with Grundy coming to Earth from yes. the moon. So, page three, Solomon Grundy goes on a rampage, chapter one. And in the opening panel, we see the Green Lantern power ring bubble crashing onto the ground in a burst of flame. And the caption says... Out of the sky it comes, streaking earthward in a furious blast of flame and thunder to crash and hurl skyward a spray of dirt and burning vegetation. There is an eerie silence. Is this mysterious exploding object a meteor, a fallen satellite, a stray asteroid, or some other visitor from outer space? For things from outer space do fall on Earth, yet this is totally unlike anything else that has ever landed on our planet. For the wisping remnants of the shattered globe rises a creature with a hate-twisted face. And it's Grundy, stretching and standing up from the wreckage as there's flames around him and the remnants of the green lantern powering bubble. Oh, he's so creepy. Anyway, another caption says, Exiled into outer space by Green Lantern, Solomon Grundy has returned to the Earth that spawned him. The figure stumbles away from the impact point through the woods. Grundy marches off. I find him. When I find him, I kill. It strides into a lake, proceeding forward, even as the waters close about its head. Not breathing, not needing to breathe. And we see Grundy marching along the bottom of the lake. There's a nice discarded tyre on the bottom of the lake beside him. That says a lot about Americans' attitudes to environmentalism at this point in the mid-60s. Oh, there's a lot more of that as we go along. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It's, it's excruciating. It's a cautionary tale, and it's, it's, it's very interesting to reflect again in this 55 years later. So, we move to the last panel of page three, and the caption says, Until it comes to high stone walls surrounding what used to be, long ago, the watery marshlands known as Slaughter Swamp. And we see Grundy bursting through the wall with a giant crack sound effect, and he says, Wall no stop me, I go back to birth waters. Over the page onto page four. The wall goes down before the giant strength of the eerie humanoid, revealing a glowing marshland into which Solomon Grundy hurls himself headlong. In a gorgeous panel, we see where Grundy's broken through the wall. He dies into the, the swamp. There's a full moon in the sky floating behind a barren tree with some Spanish moss grows hanging from it. This is lovely. There's a strange pinkish reddishness to this one. That's exactly what I was going to say. In many ways, we have the same mind. We then move on to the next panel, and there's a caption which says, Far away in the witch-haunted hills of old Salem stands a stone tower which emits a pulsing glow into the night as... And it's Dr. Fate's tower, that beautiful featureless big turret in the middle of nowhere. There's a yellow car driving up towards the tower being driven by Kent Nelson and his wife Inza, and Inza says, Kent, look! The tower is giving off some sort of strange radiance. And Kent Nelson says, Not the tower, but the crystal ball inside it, honey. 
This hasn't happened in a long time. The next panel is fantastic. It basically shows Kent and Inza just walking through the wall. Not in the same way that Grundy's just done. They're like phasing through it and a sort of <laughs> it's just moving straight. It's beautiful. Archaeologist Kent Nelson and his lovely wife, the former Inza Kramer, hurry into the stone tower, which has no door. And Kent is saying, The crystal ball glows of its own accord only when some terrible evil walks the earth. Hurry, I must look into its depths. And the caption for the next panel? To the topmost room hurries the married couple, but only Kent Nelson dare stare into that brilliant globe. And sure enough, we see Kent looking intently into his crystal ball and he says, Odd, I see the radioactive marshlands attached to the Tyler Chemical Company plant. How can that be evil? And in the background of the panel, Inza has opened a cupboard door, essentially, and she's lifting out the Doctor Fate costume, and she says, I'll get your costume, dear. I know trouble when I see it. Next moment, the Master of Magic, Doctor Fate, stands arrayed in the uniform given him by Naboo the Wise. And this is a gorgeous panel as the crystal ball continues to radiate. I don't think Dr. Fate's ever looked better, Peter, has he, frankly? No, he looks fantastic here, yeah. Brilliant Murphy Anderson. Compared to the way we saw Mike Sikowski draw him in JLA 21 and 22, mm. for example, he looks terrific. The ma- the helmet... Very dramatic. The helmet's gorgeous. The, the light from the ball is radiating out. Dr. Fate is standing right in front of it. should say there's an editor's note that says, for an explanation of the origin and powers of Dr. Fate, see the text page at the end of the story. Dr. Fate says... I'll direct the crystal ball to show me where the evil comes from, to retrace its steps. We move over the page after the, the same G.I. Joe advert that we saw elsewhere recently. And we move on to page five. Dr. Fate has left the tower and the caption says, Hurling himself upward from the tower and merging his atomic structure with the very wind, Dr. Fate quickly arrives at the impact point where the celestial globe struck the earth. And sure enough, we see Dr. Fate. It looks like he's being carried along on the, the crest of the wave of the wind, doesn't it, really? Yeah. I, th- I mean, honestly, the artwork is gorgeous. It, it's going to be very difficult picking out some selected, highlighted panels. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult. So we see Dr. Fate flying over the, the wreckage of the bubble. He's casting some of his trademark lightning bolts down to kind of assess what's going on. And he's thinking, Whatever it was that fell here is gone. By assembling its atoms, I can reconstruct its original form. And the caption for the next panel? With the ancient wisdom of the Chaldeans, he gathers the atoms of the dissipated bubble of force and reshapes them. And sure enough, he's reassembled the bubble, and the bubble is glowing, and Dr. Fate says, By Ishtar, this was once a bubble of force created by my fellow Justice Society of America member, Green Lantern. Hmm... All the more reason to hurry to the radioactive marshland pool. And there's basically a slow dissolve now, and the caption says, Some miles away in the Tyler Chemical Company plant office, the president of the company, Rex Tyler, is entering a vault known only to himself. Fantastic. My whole life has been building up to this moment, listeners. And we see Rex stepping through like a vault door, and his Our Man costume is hanging on a hook. Rex is wearing a blue suit, with his hair all quiffed back. God bless him. Amazing. And he's thinking to himself, good thing I was working late tonight so I could be here when the alarm sounded. Some man or animal has blundered into the marsh where we empty the radioactive waste from our cyclotron. That's terrible, Rex, honestly. Mark Ruffalo is going to make a film where he sues you in a few years. Aaron Brockovich is going to take yeah. him down, I think. <laughs> and the caption for the next panel. Moments later, he dons the uniform of the great crime fighter, Our Man. And Rex is thinking, I'll take a handful of Miracle pills with me, but I'll hold off swallowing one until I see what it is that broke into the radioactive marshes. I may need a full hour of super energy to cope with it. Rex is now wearing his Our Man uniform, and his suit is hanging on the peg behind him. And an editor's note at the bottom of the page says, For an explanation of the origin and powers of Our Man, see the text page 
at the end of this story. I do like how in that panel as well, you've got a big massive jar yes, of medical pills. Yes. Almost like you'd have a big jar of sweets. A jar of candy. So you know, sitting somewhere. <laughs> what I do think is interesting about this first panel where we see our man in costume, it does look very like the old Bernard Bailey drawings of him yes. from the 40s in a way that the way that Murphy has rendered Dr. Fate. Mm-hmm. That's a Murphy Anderson Dr. Fate. It doesn't look like a 1940s Dr. Fate, but it's, it's interesting how our man looks very accurate. Anyway, slow dissolve, our man has made it out to the swamp and he can see Grundy marching towards him through the the scary pink and red and black waters. The caption says, Soon after, the man of the hour stands before the glowing wastes of Slaughter Swamp and lifts out a miracle pill at the sight of... And our man's thinking, Solomon Grundy, I've heard Green Lantern speak of that most bitter of all foes and how he put him away in a distant planet, presumably for eternity. Interesting they've gone for a distant planet there, but it was the moon before. Or maybe it's just, you know, kind of just how he's picked up the story. Yeah. Swallowing a miracle pill, our man vaults into the air at the macabre man-thing. Hang on. <laughs> at the what? <laughs> it's an early DC Marvel crossover. <laughs> yeah, because that term is used to describe Marvel's muck monster more or less exactly, isn't it? Yes. Whoever knows fear burns at the touch of the macabre Man-Thing. I love Man-Thing. I had a few issues of volume two of that when I was a little boy in Paisley. Oh, really? Maybe that's where my love of swamp monsters comes from. Steve Gerber's original run is incredible. It's just so ridiculously good. It really is. Mm-hmm. I would refer any listeners to the, the excellent Defenders Dialogue podcast from the Project Entertainment Network because they after they cover the Defenders, they moved on and they've covered some issues of Man-Thing recently. So that's what that's a, a really good comics podcast worth checking mm-hmm. out. So as our man vaults towards Grundy, he cries, I must stop him, then tell Green Lantern. Grundy replies, No, tell Green Lantern. I tell him, I hate Green Lantern. And we should say at this point, in the bottom right-hand corner of the panel, we have a little timestamp now, a little clock motif which says 10.15pm. Now, this is a little conceit that, that's going to pop up in most Hour Man stories that we'll do, which signifies at what time Hour Man's hour of power has started. Now, there's different ways where I've seen it done. I've seen it used where it's it counts out the time from 60 minutes, uh-huh. counting uh-huh. down. And then I've seen other times where it's it follows the, the clock. There's sometimes an hourglass motif as well. I've seen that. Yeah. So, it's saying here, 10.45pm. The caption for the next panel. But instead of attacking with his upraised arm, Solomon Grundy swings his left arm upward. Oof! Grundy is punched Rex straight in his stomach, and our man thinks, I must be rusty to let him booby-trap me with that right hand. 10.15 and a quarter p.m. The caption for the next panel says, Even as our man slams into the bowl of a thick tree, from the sky above swoops the Wonder Wizard, bolts of lightning running from his fingertips. Dr. Fate has arrived on the scene, and sure enough, as our man slumps the ground, Grundy over him, Dr. Fate thinks, Solomon Grundy, I never fought against him, but I've heard the Justice Society members tell of their Homeric battle with him. So, the next caption, Dr. Fate infects the swampland trees with a pseudo-life force and directs it to attack the bellowing man-thing. <laughs> it's not man-thing, it's Solomon Grundy, and this is another <laughs> cracking panel. Dr. Fate silhouetted against the moon with his lightning bolts flaring out from his outstretched right hand, and the trees have grown forward so that they're sort of tangling themselves up around Grundy who bellows Ah! we move on to page 7 mad with rage livid with the urge to rend and tear Solomon Grundy reaches out and rips another tree from its earth bed and sure enough Grundy is lifting the tree above his head and Dr. Fate thinks what enormous strength he has to fight off my magic riddled trees and rip up another one and as Grundy swings the tree up at Dr. Fate the caption says with that flail in his hands 
the marshland monster sweeps the air above him, seeking to bat down his foe. Brilliant panel. And Grundy yells, I kill! No stop me! I kill! And then the caption for the next panel says, Quickly, Dr. Fate diverts some of his magic to shred the tree club into powder. And sure enough, that's what we see. The, the tree dissolves and we can see that there's some clouds drifting in front of the moon. The, the whole panel is sort of on a 45 degree angle. Yeah, it's really nice. Isn't it? It's gorgeous. There's some clouds drifting in front of the moon. Dr. Fate is thinking, It is evident that Solomon Grundy, being only a pseudo-life form, is not as badly affected by my magic as a true human would be. Tremendous. And the caption for the next panel says, With a huge roar of defiance, the man-thing rips the trees from his body, even as the Wonder Wizard freezes the very air around him. Yeah, and we can see the wall that Grundy broke through earlier on in the background of this panel. Again, there's the red grass and the dead tree, and Dr. Fate is blasting his lightning bolts, and it looks like he's conjuring a sort of... It's almost like a blizzard. It's, it looks it like is, snow yeah. sort of all around Grundy. It's tremendous. We move to the top of page 8, and the caption says... Magically form the frost crystals. Swiftly they build and cling to one another until an immense ice block stands on the rim of Slaughter Swamp. And Grundy has been frozen in a block of ice. Dr. Fate says out loud, I've imprisoned him. Now I'll see to our man. Dr. Fate reaches the ground and the caption says, But the marshland man-thing is no ordinary foe. The hate that surges through his body powers muscles that have no human equal. And sure enough, Grundy is breaking free from the ice. There's a giant crack, and we see cracks breaking all over the ice cube as it starts to fall apart, and Dr. Fate says, Incredible. I never thought anything could burst the ice I formed around him. His incredible strength calls for new ways to use my magic. And the caption for the next panel says, As the rending burst of cracking ice fills the night, a groggy hour man lifts his head. And we see our man in the foreground of the panel, rubbing the back of his head, and you can see Grundy start to bring his hand down towards Dr. Fate. And Dr. Fate thinks, I'll deliberately let Grundy grab hold of me, and when he swings me up to hurl me down at the ground... Our man exclaims, Dr. Fate, in danger! The caption for the next panel. As Dr. Fate has anticipated Solomon Grundy, grips and lifts the magic master, swinging him high in the air. And basically, Dr. Fate is being grabbed by the head and the ankles by Grundy, who's lifting him up, and Dr. Fate thinks... When I'm in contact with him, I'll fill his body with electrical magic. It's weird reading this, isn't it? Because the captions kind of slow you down. Yeah, I know what you mean. It is very much say what you see, and you know they, they complement each other in a way, but it's... It's an older form of storytelling. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not anything that we'd, that we'd do these days. It's a little bit more heavy-handed than some of the other ones that we've had so far. I think the other Gardner Fox stories we've done have mostly been team books. So there's more people, there's more action, there's more stuff happening, whereas this, it's literally three characters here, mm. when it has been for several pages, and all the action's on the panel. These days, you would just have all the action on the panel, you wouldn't have any of the caption boxes. Mm -hmm. But it does add to it, it does, you know, give it that feel. Yeah. It's a satisfying read, but I mean, you could just following the five panels on page eight, you can follow the story exactly. You know, Doctor Fate lands, Grundy's frozen ice, the ice breaks, he grabs the Doctor Fate, yep. as our man wakes up, Grundy is lifting him up, and <laughs> it's fine. I mean, you, you don't actually really need the captions to actually follow the story. So anyway, the caption for the final panel on page eight says, "High up, the man thing swings his foe, while from Doctor Fate a flood of crackling electrical magic freezes the marshland monster motionless." Terrific alliteration there. So yes, we have back view of Grundy as he holds Dr. Fate above him, and this green energy is radiating all around them. Our man bounces forward saying, Dr. Fate needs a helping hand. 
I've got to knock Grundy out with one well-timed blow over the page. And we're basically, we're on the cover, aren't we? Yes. It's from a slightly different angle. The timestamp at the bottom says, 10.29 and 2 seconds p.m. The caption says, Even as Solomon Grundy stands helpless, electrocuted by magic, our man rockets to the defense of his friend, unaware that by doing so, he'll bring about their own defeat. Grundy's looking down at our man as he bounces forward, our man reaching up. The caption for the next panel at the top says, For as he jets into action, the deadly magic suddenly seeps out of Solomon Grundy and back into the body of the Wonder Wizard. Thus, as our man slams home his energy-packed fist, he frees the man-thing from his spell. Our man connects, punching Grundy in his stomach with his left hand. Grundy starts to bring Dr. Fate down, and Grundy exclaims, I kill! And our man says, "What? What's happening to me? My miracle power's fading away, but the hour isn't up. What's wrong? The little timestamp at the bottom at this point says 10.29.03pm. So that, oh, that's just taken a second. Terrific. And we have another caption that says, story continues on third page following. So we pass adverts for subscriptions for Silly Putty, for Testo's Ed Big Daddy Roth custom finishes, whatever they are, a full page advert for the Secret Origins 8 page giant, and we move into chapter 2 of Solomon Grundy Goes on a Rampage. And the caption says, Like an electrified log, Dr. Fate crashes into our man. The titanic force of their collision drives a wedge of insensibility into their brains as their muscles go limp and their bodies collapse into unconsciousness. Towering high above them is the man-thing from the marshes. Filled with hate is warped an alien mind holding only one thought. This is a full splash page here. Mm-hmm. Brilliant artwork from Murphy Anderson. This is stunning. Grundy still holding Dr. Fate by the ankles and by the head, bringing him down on top of Iron Man. The green radiation all around them, the moon silhouette in the background, the pink, red, swamp grass, mud, water, dead trees, tremendous. And Grundy cries, I hate, I kill. Grundy is wandering away from the downed and unconscious Iron Man and Dr. Fate, and the caption says, For a moment, Solomon Grundy stares down at the crumpled inert forms of his foes, then turns and plods off through the night. Again, I'm stunned by the quality of this artwork. We have another dead tree, we have another moon in the background, you know. Giant full moon in the background yeah. with Grundy's walking towards it. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. With Rex and Ken out for the count, right at the front of the panel. So, panel two of page 11. We see Grundy walking through farmland and the caption says, While he shuffles along the road leading toward Gotham City, his body glows with weird brilliance, which spreads to nearby objects made of wood. And there's barrels and there's an old fence and they're glowing with the same sort of pink energy that has embraced Grundy. A sort of halo, if you like. And in the next panel, the caption says, Quivering with half-life, a glowing fence yanks free of the ground that holds it and joins a glowing barrel in an ear flight through the night air after the demonic man thing how many man things is that we should have kept count six is it <laughs> I think so <laughs> I mean this is another panel Grundy silhouetted in the background and there's a broom there's a barrel there's fences there's a bit of a wheel there's a, it looks like a small box and all floating after him I'm struck by the, the geographical implications here mm-hmm. we know that the Golden Age Green Lantern was based in Gotham City and that Slaughter Swamp was probably quite close by but I wasn't aware that our man had his chemical plant so near Gotham City yes so halfway down page 11 the captions for the middle panel says In an eerie dance macabre, dozens of wooden objects, all afflicted, with a radioactive part life given to them by Solomon Grundy, trail him into Gotham City. We reach the bottom of page 11, and... Pocketing an axe handle, he grips the doors of a local bank, and... 
And we see him basically ripping the door off its hinges with a big rip sound effect. And it's quite amusing because the axe handle is protruding from his clothes in quite an unfortunate fashion. Oh dear. I wonder if Murphy was up to something there. But anyway, well, as Grundy says... I find. I make him come to me. I rob. He no like anyone to rob. I wonder who he could be talking about, eh? I wonder. We'll find out very soon. We move on to the top of page 12. We see Grundy inside the bank. Caption says, Inside the bank, his fingers fasten on the heavy vault door, and... Grundy, with a screech sound effect, we can see the, the vault door coming away, and Grundy says, I bring him soon now. I take money, he comes stop me, then I kill. Moments later, the pockets of his ragged, rotting garments stuffed with greenbacks, the man-thing lurches from the bank, where his wooden slaves have been hovering. Yep, Grundy coming out the doorway, with a bag of money in one hand and a shit and a handful of notes in the other, and there's money and coins and jewels, presumably, all over the floor. We can still see the floating barrel and the floating rake. And Grundy exclaims, Where is he? He be here soon, I think. The next panel, we see the moon again with some clouds drifting in front of it. This is so nicely done. And the caption says, As he howls his fury to the stars. And the money is falling all round Solomon onto the ground and he yells, Come get me, where you hide. I wait, I wait. Where you, where you. The next panel is tremendous. In the foreground, we see Green Lantern, Alan Scott, swooping down, looking down on Grundy, standing outside the bank. Grundy is delighted. He yells, There he is. He come at last. And Green Lantern's thinking, It hardly seems possible. I left Solomon Grundy trapped on a cold, lifeless planet. How could he have escaped my globe of emerald energy? From the power ring shoots a verdant beam of energy, and as it hits the macabre man-thing, it spreads and forms another bubble of force with which to contain him. And Green Lantern has basically caught Solomon Grundy in a nice big reflective power ring energy bubble, and he thinks to himself, There, that does it. Let's see Grundy escape from that. And then we have a nice exposition caption. For those readers who may be puzzled at the unfamiliar costume of Green Lantern, be advised that this is the Green Lantern of Earth 2. In this other Earth, as contrasted to Earth 1, where Green Lantern is really test pilot Hal Jordan, the Emerald Crusader's civilian identity is that of Alan Scott, ex-radio announcer and now president of the Gotham City Broadcasting Company. So after his appearance in the JLA-JSA team-up, and his extended cameos, if you like, in the, the Flash stories, this is held up as the first Silver Age solo appearance of Green Lantern. Yeah. I've seen that in Price Guides. <laughs> as well as the return of Grundy, it's, it's the return of his arch foe. It's all very interesting. Mm. I'm loving it so far, right? So we flip over to page 13 and Grundy, using the axe handle that he'd concealed about his person in an earlier panel, Grundy smashes out of the bubble. From his person, Solomon Grundy lifts a radioactive axe handle and slashes out with it, denting and cracking his power ring prison. Grundy yells, No, I not go to faraway planets again. I stay here and smash Green Lantern. And Green Lantern's thinking, Phew, he sure showed me. The caption for the next panel says, The queer, half-alive wood smashes the power globe as the marshland monster howls his triumph. You see Green Lantern has taken flight. Again, he's silhouetted against the moon with the clouds drifting past. Grundy is hurling the axe head up at him, and Green Lantern thinks, In the long years, when he was imprisoned on that planet with plenty of time to think, he must have remembered our battles and realised that wood is my weakness and nemesis. And as Grundy hurls the axe handle, he yells, Ah! 
Caption for the next panel says, Next moment, the Man-Thing waves his wooden soldiers to the attack. Grundy yells, Hit! Hit! Knock him down to me, so I grab him. And we see the door and the rake and the barrel and the chair and the little box and they're all, like the axe handle, they're all still glowing with that pink scary energy as Grundy directs them up towards Alan. And in the next panel, the caption says, Quickly, the Emerald Crusader deflects the path of a distant cyclone to blow away those deadly objects. <laughs> That's handy. <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed by that. So yes, sure enough, we see them all being cycloned out the way and Green Lantern thinks, Some of those wooden objects are getting through to me, battering me. With his power ring, he fashions tongues of flames to leap up at those wooden weapons. Green Lantern thinks, I'll put out that fire and restore things to normal after I overcome that wooden barrage. That's interesting. He can use the ring to generate flames to take out the uh-huh. wood. Does that feel contradictory or contrary to you? If his ring doesn't work against wood or... If he's not doing it directly, if he's like doing it to create flame around it... Bear in mind, you know, it's always referred to as a green flame his energy yeah I don't know although the flame in this is red because he's not using it directly on it he must just be igniting the yeah. air because we should think any other time that someone's thrown something wood at him he could have just gone like that and burst it into flames yeah it's I don't not know. something I've really seen him use since to be honest no, <laughs> not, not that I can recall so we move on to the, the top of page 14 mm-hmm. and the caption says but always that army of wood increases so that the unending blows fell the green gladiator Yep, and obviously the distant cyclone and setting things in fire hasn't worked because we see Alan being struck by a couple of planks of wood and a baseball bat. There's a bit of a door. And Green Lantern starts to fall to the ground and Grundy yells, I win! I win! But then the next panel, we see Dr. Fate swooping in as Grundy moves to catch Green Lantern. And the caption says, At this critical moment from south of Gotham City streaks Dr. Fate, fully recovered from his knockout blow. And as he swoops down, Dr. Fate's thinking, Grundy's grabbing Green Lantern. Fortunately, I was able to track him here by his radioactive footprints. Then the next caption says, Spotting the Wonder Wizard, the Macabre Man thing points, and instantly his wooden army regroups itself, and... We see the the pink glowing radioactive wood and boxes and chairs and stuff swooshing round. Grundy seems to be directing him, and he yells, Kill! Kill! Then the next caption says, Wood is no nemesis of the Master of Magic, however. His body pours out occult powers and under their eerie spell. This is tremendous. Um, I never knew Dr. Fate had it in him. We see the chair and the wheel and the various planks all sort of combining into a giant mallet, essentially. And Dr. Fate's directing with his lightning bolt magic and he thinks, I'll reshape their atoms to form a mighty weapon to use against that pseudo-life form. I love how, and I see this every time this happens, I love how this is like a callback to the original use of Dr. Fate's powers where he was more like a matter manipulator and less magician. Yeah. Even earlier on, we said he merges his atoms with the wind yeah. to, uh-huh. to fly. That's interesting. Yeah, just it's a callback to how it originally was. The only person that does this is Gardner Fox. After right. this, I think uh, everyone just uses him as, you know, Master of Magic uh, or Lord of Order. Yeah, because, I mean, Gardner's probably more familiar with him from yeah. the the golden age stuff yep. he's probably writing them as he as he as he remembered them mm-hmm. and i mean I, I, to be i mean and to be fair i always think of dr fate now as the guy sort of arms outstretched with a giant ank mm-hmm. shaped bit yeah. of magic happening around them and we haven't got to that yet no. really have we no we haven't that whole sort of egyptology mm-hmm. the egyptology thing i think is is something we've got used to mm-hmm. probably since the 70s that's been built up yeah definitely so anyway we move on to page 15 and the caption says meanwhile 
Our man has also been trailing Solomon Grundy as swiftly as he can. And at the bottom of this panel, there's a little timestamp telling us that it's now 12.14am, so a quarter of an hour after midnight. Grundy is moving off with Green Lantern over his shoulder. Dr. Fate is bringing the giant mallet down on the ground with a crash, and our man thinks, Almost two hours have passed since I took the Miraclo pill. In another few seconds, an hour having intervened after my hour of energy-charged powers... I can take another. Even as he swallows a miracle pill, he sees the Swampland Scarecrow lift Dr. Fate's wooden mallet and swing it. And Everman thinks, I hope that this helping hand I give Dr. Fate will turn out better than the last one. It's now 12.15am. The caption for the next panel on page 15 says, But as Dr. Fate swerves aside from the mallet, TikTok Tyler sees his fellow superhero come straight for him. And this is an interesting panel. From left to right, we see Grundy with Green Lantern over his shoulder, hurling the mallet. Dr. Fate moving towards our man. Our man is jumping up to intercept Dr. Fate. We have a silhouette of the city behind him. And again, we see the moon with a few clouds drifting over it. And Dr. Fate says, All of a sudden, I have a great compulsion to destroy our man. And our man says, I must battle and overcome Dr. Fate at all costs. We move on to page 16, Solomon Grundy goes on a rampage, chapter 3. We should maybe mention the little inset panel we have of the two heads of Dr. Fate and Our Man. That's quite cool. Yes, that's they've used that for each chapter heading, it's been good. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? So, page 16 is another full page splash panel. Dr. Fate is gesturing and creating a sort of Aurora Borealis type effect. But the caption for this panel says... Solomon Grundy is forgotten before the sudden hate that fills the hearts and minds of the two crusaders. No longer do they concern themselves with battling the macabre man-thing. They are intent only in doing away with one another. The deadly duel begins as Dr. Fate flings up a curtain of magic and... Our man leaps towards him. Energy charged. Fist clenched. Dr. Fate says... The instant you touch that magical light curtain, our man, you doom yourself. And our man says... I'll match my miraculous powers against your magic any time, Dr. Fate. And in the bottom of the panel, Grundy yells, Ah! I don't blame you, Solomon. <laughs> we move on to page 17. I must say, this page, yes. that, that page is absolutely beautiful. We're definitely putting this in the socials. It's, it's um, just the colouring in it is great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so effective. It's stunning. It's, Murphy's a master of just sort of shade and just composition, and it, it looks so rich. There was a Murphy Anderson story, obviously, in Zatanna's Quest when we did Hawkman. Yeah. That was. That was lovely, but this is it's next level, and it's so much. I, I don't want to say better because it's the wrong word. Mm-hmm. I'm receiving it more positively than a lot of the artwork and a lot of the other stories we've done. You know, if sure. Murphy Anderson is a real a real talent. I mean, we move on to page seventeen, the first panel with um Doctor Fate and Airman squaring up, and again there's the silhouette of a building, and then the panel after that, the moon is always present. I mean, it's it's really atmospheric. You can tell it's at night. Mm-hmm. There's no other people around. It's creepy and it's fantastic. Yeah. So, top of page 17, the first caption says, Confidently, the man of the hour springs into the shimmering drape of awesome enchantments. And as our man bursts through Dr. Fate's curtain of magic, Dr. Fate thinks, Ha! Huh, his body is stiffening, his mind reeling. And the caption for the next panel says, but even though our man sinks into unconsciousness... Our man is very lucky. He gets a right, right hand to punch Dr. Fate on the jaw. And Dr. Fate thinks... He had so much momentum behind him, it carried him clear through my magical curtain. Ugh! It's another great panel, because our man has burst through the, light, the, the curtain of magic. We can see a full moon. The shading on Dr. Fate's helmet is just... It's sublime. Yeah. It's gorgeous. So, and the sound effect 
Sock. Yeah. S O K. Right as he punches him on yeah. the helmet. <laughs> Great stuff. He, he punches him where? On the helmets. <laughs> on his shiny helmets. There we are. Yes. Jokes. Oh dear. So Panel three of page seventeen is basically it's almost from Grundy's point of view as Doctor Fate and Our Man fall from the sky, and the caption says, "Head over heels, the inert superheroes tumble toward the ground." And in the next panel, Grundy looks quite smug and satisfied as he walks off with Green Lantern over his shoulder, and the caption says, "The instant they thud to earth, the marshland monster trudges off into the night." And it's a bit of a slow dissolve now as we get to page 18. Grundy's made it out of the city. He's walking along a kind of marshland road and the caption says, As he shuffles along the road towards Slaughter Swamp, Solomon Grundy is suddenly framed in a pair of brilliant headlights. And we see a big long car and there's some dodgy geezers inside with their headlights on full beam and they see Grundy and one of them says, For Pete's sake, look there! It's our old pal, Solomon Grundy! And the second hood says... Where you been all these years? The Man-Thing pauses, recognising his gang of years before. And he's got his archenemy, Green Lantern. How about that? Grundy says, Green Lantern put me on a dead planet long time ago. Very cold, very dark there. Me no like. The next panel, narrated by Grundy, we have his face at the top as it's obviously because it's his thoughts, and he continues to say, Then, long time later, Big thing like shooting star pass high up. Pull everything off planets, not held down. I go too. And we see Grundy and his Green Lantern powering bubble being drawn up into space in the wake of the of the meteorite. And Grundy says, Now me find Green Lantern, me get revenge. And the next caption, as he continues to say, I ride through space, not need to breathe. Feel cold, but not freeze. And we see Grundy in the bubble, and the Grundy in the bubble says, Move green ball by holding sides. Make it go where me want. And then a nice long shot of the Earth from space and Grundy's bubble. Grundy's bubble is actually the name of a a vegan cafe in Camden. Mm. Yeah, some really nice mushroom soup the last time I was there. You should should check it out, listeners. It's lovely. Solomon is falling down towards Earth. The caption says, Took long time, but at last I steal it home. Slow dissolve to top of page 19. Solomon Grundy, still with Green Lantern unconscious over his shoulder, and a couple of hoods that he was with previously. They've made it back into town, and the caption says, Urged on by his eager friends, Solomon Grundy agrees to help them pull off another job, for all time's sake. And they're outside a jeweler's, and Grundy is pulling down the metal bars outside the jewellery window, and one of the hoods says, boy, Solomon, we'll take over now. And his pal says, Man, what a haul! While the Swampland Scarecrow continues on his way, Dr. Fate and our man slowly stir, rise to their feet. The little timestamp tells us it's 12.30am, so only a quarter of an hour since the last time we saw them. Our man has his hand to his face, and Dr. Fate is rubbing the back of his neck behind his helmet. And our man says, Phew, what came over us? For a while there, I felt you were my enemy. Dr. Fate replies, Same here. But I believe I'm beginning to understand. My hate for you began when you swallowed that miracle pill. Something about your miracle affects my magic, just as my magic has an adverse influence on you when you go into action near me. And our man continues. First it weakened us so Solomon Grundy could throw off your magic electricity and hurl you at me. Then it made us fight one another. Perhaps the radioactivity of Solomon Grundy's body has something to do with it. 
Merging his body atoms with the wind, he creates with his magic the Wonder Wizard rockets into the air as the man of the hour is drawn up after him. This is great. Dr. Fate is flying along, arms outstretched, dragging our man along in the wake behind him. And Dr. Fate says, I'll create a long gravitic pathway in the air behind me so you can ride along, drawn after me by the speed of my flying. And our man says, since we have to be reasonably close to have my miracle affect your magic, I'll make sure to keep my distance. With the Master Mage leading the way, TikTok Tyler speeds along behind him with the ease of an air skier until... And a swooping along, Dr. Fate out in front. We Again, it's an, another nice panel using the moon and the cityscape. Our man gestures down and he says, Dr. Fate, look below you! And it's now 12.33am. We move on to page 20. Next moment, our man breaks out of that anti-gravitic pathway as... Our man has noticed what's going on below them and indeed he says, Crooks, robbing that jewellery store. I'm going down to stop them while you go on ahead after Solomon Grundy. I'll join you later. And then we see some of the baddies running out of the jewellers. It's obviously the same one because we can see the metal bars on the ground and the, the glass broke and it's now 12.33 a.m. The man of the hour drops like an avenging comet from the sky. Our man drops on two of the baddies with a thud. Their hats go flying and they drop their ill-gotten gains. It's now 12.33 and three quarters a.m. Like a cat, he drops to his feet, then lashes out with a supercharged fist. And with a lovely zock sound effect, we see our man punching out a mustachioed check jacket baddie. The time is now 12.33 a.m. A gun blasts in the night, but before the bullet can reach him, our man leaps above it. Oh, that's my boy. Superb. Our man leaps. Yep, right enough. Our man leaps up. There's a blam sound effect. He jumps out of the way of the bullet, and it's now 12.34 a.m. He comes down hard, like a living bomb. We see our man punching out the gentleman who's just shot at him, and he thinks, Wrap that up in less than a minute. I'll turn him over to the police, then rejoin Dr. Fate. And it's now 12.34 and a quarter a.m. We move on to page 21. The caption says, Far ahead of him, the Master of Magic is swooping low over Slaughter Swamp, keen eye scanning its radioactive waters. Again, another gorgeous panel, Dr. Fate. I mean, that's he's riding in the wind, he's not flying independently. That's quite interesting. That's something. Yep. That's a really, really interesting sort of visual sort of look or effect. It's a shame yep. they don't still mm -hmm. do that. Again, we see the, the pink and red swamp and trees and grass with the moon and the clouds. And Dr. Fate is thinking, No sign of Solomon Grundy, yet his radioactive footprints show he came here. Suddenly the waters part as the macabre man-thing rises upward to come to grips with his tormentor. This is a cracking panel as Grundy bursts up from the pink and red and black swamp water, yelling, Rah! And Dr. Fate is just above him and he says, Ah, there you are. You not only have me to deal with Grundy, but also Green Lantern. And the caption for the next panel says, The stunned eyes of the Swampland Scarecrow turn toward the edge of the marshland, where... And we see Dr. Fate still swooping along, but Green Lantern has stood with his hands on his hips. Grundy is there. Grundy says, Green Lantern, no. You in Swamp, me put you there. Make you just like me. Help me fight enemies. That's not you. Dr. Fate thinks as he swoops overhead. I figured that magical Green Lantern I created would make him blurt out the whereabouts of the real Green Lantern. Oh, very clever, Doctor. Not bad at all. The caption for the next panel says as Grundy lurches towards Green Lantern. Despite his claim to have imprisoned the Emerald Gladiator, the sight of his longtime foe, Madden Solomon Grundy. And Grundy says, I take you back into water. I make you man-thing like me. <laughs> It's very distracting. Even Grundy's at the man thing. 
thing. <laughs> I'm going to put a, a short, small man thing gallery on the socials, listeners. So make sure you check that out. Make sure you check out our Facebook and our Instagram for all the supplementary context materials, so you can so you know who Man Thing is and what he looks like, and compare him to Solomon Grundy. Um, you'll probably see why we find it so distracting that Grundy is referred to in such a way so we move on to the bottom panel of page 21 Green Lantern punches up into Grundy's stomach and the caption says the marshland monster discovers that the magical Green Lantern has an eerie strength all his own and Grundy says you hit hard but I knock you out you wait you see we move on to page 22, and you know, if you think a few things have been weird so far, listeners, you ain't heard anything yet. <laughs> the first caption at the top of page 22 says, To one side, Dr. Fate has cast an ancient spell, lifting the glowing waters of Slaughter Swamp upward into the air, revealing... And sure enough, Dr. Fate has worked his magic, and we can see the body bed of the marsh. There's a few puddles and splashes laying around, and then it's basically a Solomon Grundified version of Green Lantern. He's a lot bigger, a bit more... Hulk-like, he's bigger and broader, he's the same white skin, the same sort of deranged white expression, the chalk-white face, his hair's gone white, and Dr. Fate says, A monstrous green lantern. Solomon Grundy brought him here to make those radioactive waters turn him into a pseudo-life form like himself. The caption for the next panel says, Shambling forward, the transformed Green Lantern hurls himself straight at the Wonder Wizard. We get a better look at the Grundy Green Lantern now, so we'll probably put this panel on the socials. And we can see that Green Lantern's costume is torn, in a similar way to the way that Grundy's clothes are torn. There's a rip in the leg, there's a rip at the shoulder. And Dr. Fate thinks, He doesn't know who he is, or who I am. He is completely under the spell of the radioactive swamplands. A beam from the power ring forms a great green mace that plummets downward at the mystical mage. And sure enough, despite being under a weird sort of control and turned into a weird pseudo version of Green Lantern by Grundy, he obviously is still able to operate the power ring. Yes. We can see him gesturing. There's a little blast coming from the ring and then sure enough, the mace on a chain swinging down towards Dr. Fate and the big, huge, scary monster Green Lantern says, I kill! Caption for the next panel at the bottom of page 22 says, With his left hand, Dr. Fate catches and holds the mace as his right hand hurls tiny suns at his fellow Justice Society member. Dr. Fate says, You have great powers, Green Lantern, but so have I, and my brain is keen and alert, while yours is possessed only with the desire to destroy. It basically kind of looks like the Grundified Green Lantern's getting ready for Christmas. It looks like he's covered in sort of Christmas trees and tinsel, and the caption says, The miniature suns beat down upon Green Lantern with their mystic powers. He writhes, he twists to escape the magical rays that bathe his body. The caption for the next panel says, Suddenly, a startling change comes over the Emerald Crusader. His monstrous features disappear, his torn and riddled clothes firm back to normal, until, in exhaustion at his ordeal, he drops to his knees. And the little suns are still sort of floating around. Looks like it's starting to evaporate, and as an effect that suggests that he is indeed sort of shrinking back down to normal. In the next panel, we see Grundy squaring up to Dr. Fate, and the caption says, With a bellow of rage, Solomon Grundy turns from the magical Green Lantern toward the real one and sees Dr. Fate standing in his path. And the fake Green Lantern that Dr. Fate created has started to dissolve as well. So Grundy says, You do this. You trick me. I get you. Dr. Fate's not feared though because he blasts Grundy and the caption for the next panel says, Now the Wonder Wizard is in control, however. 
His magic is never stronger as he hurls a sorceress battering ram at his eerie foe. Then, out of the night, raises our man. And it's a bit of, um, it's not a robot ram's head, but it's a, a yellow energy ram's head, which is blasting Grundy. And Grundy declares, Yeah! The, the golden ram's head is a very tasteful bar in, in Camden, so you should try it the next time you're down there. So we move to the bottom panel of page 23, and the caption says, Then out of the night races our man, eager to be in at the finish. And we see Grundy flailing as he falls backwards. There's another panel of the moon with the clouds drifting in front of it. It's very, very nice, and Dr. Fate is still blasting his magic. And as our man rushes in, he says, And a boy, Dr. Fate, you knocked him within range of my fists. Hold off on your magic while I give him a dose of my super energy. Move on to page 24, and... Rex belts Grundy a cracker, sending him flying back towards Dr. Fate. The time is now 12.47pm. That's a mistake. Oh, yeah. It should still be yeah, it should still be AM. It's, it's how long has this battle been going? It feels like it's been 12 hours just, <laughs> just reading it. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. So, the next caption, panel 2 of page 24. As the macabre man thing hurtles back toward him, the wonder wizard whips him around and around until... Dr. Fate is gesturing. The lightning bolts are coming from his fingers and he's caught Grundy up in the air, swirling around to the wind like he was doing earlier on. And Dr. Fate says, Coming right back at you, our man. And our man says, This is like a wrestling tag team match. As long as we work in tons, we can use our superpowers. Upward into the air jets our man, high above the Swampland Scarecrow. The Swampland Scarecrow, superb. And it's now 12.47 and three quarters p.m. Interesting. Our man leaping up into the air, we can see the moon in the background. Dr. Fate on the opposite bank of the dried out marshy riverbed. Grundy clutching his head, he's obviously disorientated. We drop to the bottom panel and the caption says, Reversing direction in midair, he powers a pulverizing blow down on Solomon Grundy. And our man gets him a cracking left hook on the jaw. Grundy looks grotesque in this panel. He does. Our man looks very heroic. Hooray. So we move on to page 25. As Dr. Fate continues the onslaughts, a revitalized Green Lantern moves in. We can see Dr. Fate is pummeling Grundy with a couple of giant energy fists, it looks like. And Green Lantern joins the convo and he says, Let me help out, fellows. You must know by now that nothing can knock Grundy out because of his strange life form. We must do something else. What have you got in mind, Green Lantern? In the background, we see our man rushing up towards and Grundy yelling, Ah! Close up of Green Lantern as he continues, to imprison him in a modified force bubble. The one I originally created years ago was weakened over the years because of its long trip through space and its fiery fall through the Earth's atmosphere, so that it cracked open and dissipated when it landed. Side by side, Dr. Fate and Green Lantern rise into the night sky. Dr. Fate says, I understand. I'll add my magic to the energy of your power ring. And Green Lantern says, Exactly. Together we'll create a globe, half energy and half magic, that would last until the end of time. That's interesting, because we've come to know Alan Scott as the magical Green Lantern. Ah, uh-huh. the star heart and all that. Yes. Yeah, so it's um, a half energy and half magic. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, right. Okay. So, it's too late in the game to start splitting here, so we get to the <laughs> caption at the bottom of page 25. From magical fingertips and powering poor dual energy, creating a massive ball of alternating bands of magic and matter. And it's a huge big green globe with it looks like basically Dr. Fate's yellow lightning bands all wrapped around it, essentially. And Dr. Fate says, That ought to hold him. And Green Lantern continues, If it doesn't, 
I can't imagine what will. We move on to page 26. Then from below, our man lifts his fist in a magnificent uppercut, driving the macabre man thing upwards toward the magical prison prepared for him. Yep, there's a belter, Rex gets him, woof, and Grunny goes flying up into the air towards the bubble. So awesome is that blow that within moments... And we see Grundy in the bubble, which is floating in the air. Our man looking up from the red grass. Dr. Fate and Green Lantern floating up into the air. We can see the moon with some clouds for the last time. And Dr. Fate says, Now what do we do with Solomon Grundy? And Green Lantern answers, With our combined powers, we'll put him in eternal orbit around the Earth. That way we can maintain a 24-hour vigilance on him. Upwards and upwards into an orbit about the planet goes the Macabre Man thing. Endlessly circling... The world that spawned him. So not Solomon Grundy, but actually the Marvel character with a turnip for a nose. So yeah, (laughs) and it's a cracking panel as Grundy's bubble. Grundy's bubble, I think I've mentioned that pub already, goes flying up into space, being directed by Doctor Fate's magic and Green Lantern's power ring. And we close on a close-up of our three heroes. And Doctor Fate says, My crystal ball and your power ring will glow in a unique way if Solomon Grundy ever escapes from that prison. Our man continues. Personally, I don't think he'll bother us again. And Alan Scott Green Lantern concludes. I wonder. The The end. end. (laughs) Wow. Wow, indeed. That was cracking, wasn't it? It was just a massive fight. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what was it? I mean, there's a lot of big panels. You know, there's a lot of pages Uh where it's two panels or four panels and they're all spread out. Very action-packed, you know. Yeah. Not a lot of substance to it, but very exciting and... Mm -hmm. But with beautiful artwork. Yes, the artwork is the main selling point of this. The story was pretty mundane because it was just a big fight. Yeah. There's no one in this. There's just the main characters. And a, cu- a couple, and a couple of, hoods, of hoods. And you've got Inza. That's it. All this stuff happening at night and there's no bystanders or someone going, ah, and running away from someone. That would have been nice, That's actually. Yeah. It's literally just deserted streets and a big fight. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen some reactions. That would have been quite good. The title of this comic, after all, is Showcase. Yeah. And it has allowed our man to demonstrate his powers... It's allowed Doctor Fate mm-hmm. to demonstrate his magic. It's allowed Green Lantern to show off a little bit, and it's it's let the monster be quite monstrous and scary. So I think it's done its job. I think my memory is that when we do the next issue of Showcase with Our Man and Doctor Fate, it's actually a, by the standards of this one, it's a much trickier story. It would be interesting to combine yeah. them. It's an easy introduction to the characters. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I was fascinated by the the scenes where Our Man and Doctor Fate's powers were sort of working against them, working against each other. That was yeah, that was quite interesting. The effect, the radiation, and all the stuff that Grundy was involved in was having that that effect on it and you sort of think right was that a biological thing or is it just Gardner going yeah okay terrific one thing I wanted to point out both there's two a couple of things uh, one is it's really annoying that they mess up the AMPM thing that really bugs me anyway yes. but yes. Uh, this is the first story we've had that it's wholly been in Earth 2 since Earth 2 has been established yes and without a single reference to it actually even being on Earth 2 apart from maybe when it introduces Green Lantern yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only thing that uh, says it yeah. that's just to say this isn't the Green Lantern you know because this isn't the Earth too. They don't make a big yeah. deal of it. It's just it's really it's really interesting. I would love to have known. I wish there was a letters page that actually talked about this, but sadly, yes. there's, uh, letters pages and showcase were few and far between. So sadly, folks, no reader reaction to this issue. Yeah, quite disappointing because it would have been interesting to hear what everyone had to say about Our Man and Doctor Fate. Did they respond positively to them? I would like to see Roy Thomas's letter uh, saying, actually, uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> he's um, he's he's coming back from the wrong place. He should have been under the ground. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, from the continuity aspect, you can imagine that probably would have been quite irritating. Mm-hmm. And it shows maybe that Gardner was writing it from his own memory. 
Mm-hmm. This is the first time I'm, I'm really disappointed that we don't have the reader reaction because I wonder yeah. how seriously this was sort of treated as an attempt either to launch a new Hourman comic or a Doctor Fate comic. We know uh-huh. that very soon we'll be doing the issues of Brave and the Bold that came out yeah. in 65 that had Starman and Black Canary. And we also know that slightly in the future of that, the Spectre got three issues of Showcase and mm-hmm. then got his own comic. So mm-hmm. it would be nice to know, did people respond better to the Spectre than they did to Doctor Fate and Hourman? Did people write in with a massive amount of negative feedback on them? Yeah. It's a wee bit frustrating that we don't know. I mean, from this point of view, from the perspective of 2020, when we record this, it's like, I'm delighted because it's our man fighting Solomon Grundy in a comic drawn by Murphy Anderson. Fantastic. Exactly, yeah. You know, unbeatable. It would have been really nice to know what people thought at the time, yeah. But it's also interesting the way you said there, the next characters they bring out, they bring in the Spectre to try out, they bring in Starman and Black Canary to try out. Is it a case, do you think, maybe that they're maybe thinking, we've got this Earth 2 concept, it seems to be popular, let's try a few characters, see if any of them are worth yeah. running with, and funnily enough, Spectre yeah. gets his own series. Yeah, Spectre got his own book almost straight away, mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot in the last few episodes about how the parallel universe concept is being used by the different editors and stuff, it's being used, mm-hmm. the usual sort of disposable nonsense by the Superman family stories, it's been used a bit more coherently in the Green Lantern and Justice League sort of stuff, as far as Earth 1, Earth 2 and The Flash and all that sort of stuff. As you say, this is the first time really that some Golden Age guys have gone it alone, mm-hmm. and it's interesting, I wonder what the editorial sort of reasoning and process behind this was because they've obviously they've kept going with parallel earths and stuff but they thought uh-huh. right presumably there must have been quite a good response to the golden age guys being back well, I mean we know this because we know that from the letters pages for the JLA JSC yeah. team ups yeah mm-hmm. it's obviously they've sort of thought right there, there is a demand for these characters do we give them a shot Tomorrow's published kind of half autobiography, half biography of Murphy Anderson in 2003. It's basically called The Life and Art of Murphy Anderson. And there's a slight moment in here which I'll read out. This is from Murphy Anderson himself. And he says, When Julie decided to revive Dr. Fate and Our Man, that's Julie Schwartz, obviously, who we've mentioned many times. Mm-hmm. When Julie decided to revive Dr. Fate and Our Man, those were two characters that I was quite well aware of because I'd read all that stuff as a kid in a lot of those books. So I didn't have to go looking for reference when I did them. I just looked at my files. I enjoyed working on them. They weren't the same as they had been when I was a kid. I felt we were doing an updated version and it's not fair to compare them. So that's interesting from what you were saying about the way Doctor mm-hmm. Fate was using these powers and stuff. Yeah. I had a feeling that most of those characters were second and third string characters. I never thought of them as being in a par with Superman or Batman or Captain Marvel or Captain America. That bunch. Those characters were the elite, so to speak. And I felt over at Marvel they had Submariner or Human Torch and all and they were secondary to Captain America. And at DC, the Green Lantern and Flash and our man Doctor Fate... All these characters were second and third tier characters. The Spectre was another one that I greatly admired, and that was the most fun working in all of those characters. Starman I liked partly because he was a second string Superman. Jack Burnley had drawn both characters, so there was a lot of crossover in the character design and even costume design. Starman's costume was a great deal like Superman, so that's preempting what we'll talk about in Braving the Bull. Murphy's indicating it was Julie Schwartz's idea yeah. to kind of to run with the, the Golden Age guys and give them a bit more to do. No great surprise there. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. excellent stuff. Cool. One thing I want to mention is, are you a bit freaked out at uh, Rex Tyler serial pollutants? Yeah, I know. There's no way that happened these days. No way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what that's what I said at the point when um, when we did it. Mark Ruffalo's going to end up making a movie about it. I mean, um. Yep. Into the marsh where we empty the radioactive waste from our cyclotron. I mean, I suppose it's radioactive waste that's probably made it glow pink and red and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's probably the effect of that radioactive waste actually that was in causing the the problems between Doctor Fate and Our Man's powers. Maybe. Yep. Now that I think about it, that's very of its time, isn't it? Yeah. Pour it down the sink. Nothing will happen. Shall we read out the origin paragraphs from the the final page of the comic? Shall we do those? No. 
Oh, go on. <laughs> sure. So we're now going to read out, as promised, the text pages that the editorial footnotes refer to. The origin of Dr. Fate, the origin of our man. So Pete's going to do the origin of Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate is a student of those ancient mysteries, the secrets of which were lost when Julius Caesar burned the library in Alexandria. He delves into the sciences of the occult and the weird, being both an alchemist and a mage. He has learned the ultimate secret of the universe, the true conversion of energy into matter and matter into energy. He lives in a doorless stone tower in which haunted Salem. In his civilian identity of Kent Nelson, archaeologist, he is married to Inza Kramer, who shared his many adventures as originally reported in more fun comics from his initial appearance in the May 1940 issue, number 55, through issue number 98. Dr. Fate also appeared in many all-star adventures as a member of the famed superhero organisation, the Justice Society of America. The son of an archaeologist, young Kent Nelson, accompanied his father Sven to the Valley of Ur in his quest to solve the riddle of the building of the pyramids. There Kent discovered the living but inert body of Naboo the Wise in a casket. By pushing a lever, Kent sent a flood of gas into Naboo's casket, releasing him from the state of hibernation in which he had lain for centuries. When Kent found his father dead, Naboo remained with him, teaching him the secrets of the universe, the lost mystical arts of Charia in Egypt, Babylon and Sumer. Naboo was from Cilia, a planet that orbits close to Earth once every several thousand years. When he was about to return home, he gave Kent Nelson the blue and gold uniform, which he was to wear in his adventurous career as Dr. Fate. Recently, Dr. Fate reappeared with the revived Justice Society to help its counterpart on another Earth, the Justice League, combat the crime champions and the crime syndicate of America. Fantastic. What to unpack there. That's uh, changed every bit these days. Yeah, Naboo was from Cilia, a planet that orbits close to Earth once every several thousand years, so no mentions of Lord of Order or, or anything like that. No. So, I'll do the origin of our man. For one hour, thanks to the Miracle Pills, he became endowed with supercharged energy. At the end of that hour, he once again was a normal human being. His name was Rex Tyler, and he made his first appearance in Adventure Comics in the March 1940 issue as Our Man. The inventor of Miraclo, TikTok Tyler, soon discovered that this powerful chemical transformed him from a meek, mild chemist to Our Man, a fleet-footed man with the strength of a giant, the leaping ability of a super-athlete, and a body insensible to harm. Since his great powers lasted precisely one hour, he hung an hourglass about his neck to keep track of the time. When he first began his adventures, his supervisor at the chemical plant assured him he would never amount to anything because of his meekness. But today he owns that chemical plant and runs it with business skill and acumen. Our man, too, was a charter member of the Justice Society of America, but was granted a leave of absence and replaced by Starman in All-Star number 8. Subsequently, in issue 83, Our Man was given another leave of absence, this time from Adventure Comics. Until his recent appearance in Justice League of America, he has remained in quiet retirement. Until that is, he was summoned out of that retirement, as was Dr. Fate, by the crises on Earth-1 and Earth-2. Battling side-by-side side with such former friends as Flash, Green Lantern, Atom, Hawkman and the Black Canary, Our Man found a new love of life. Today, he keeps his Miracle Pills and his Our Man costume in a secret vault in the Tyler Chemical Company plant ready for any sudden emergency, such as the one he is presented with in this issue, the reappearance of the marshland monster, Solomon Grundy. And that um, little Evil Absence thing will be touched upon in All-Star Squadron. Yes, it will. I love this. This has been great. This is what we've been building up to, as far as I'm concerned, for the best part of 24 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, they will return in Showcase issue 56 that we'll go into in a future episode. Very, very soon. Very soon, yep. So that's what we thought about uh, this issue. What did you think about it? 
What do you think of Rex Tyler industrial <laughs> pollutants? <laughs> what did you think of Dr. Fate being trained by an alien? Hmm, let us know. You can email us at theearthtopodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on Facebook because there's lots of extras we put up there, lots of snippets, lots of panels. The Murphy Anderson artwork is incredible on this issue. It really is. So, it yeah, really well, is. It's going to be tough just, you know, whittling down to a few to put up in the social media. But yes, we will. Make sure you follow us on Instagram as well. We're at theearthtopodcast there and on twitter we're at podcast underscore earth too we're trying to put a bit more effort into giving us much sort of extra supplementary bonus content if you like you know just to give you a bit more context to everything that we're talking about having great fun doing it so that's been us doing showcase 55 so make sure you join us next time on the, the earth, earth 2, two podcast. podcast transmatter cube activated return coordinate set for earth prime and the final tally for a number of times Solomon Grundy is referred to as Man-Thing is 18. 18.